Welcome to Marrow Masters, sponsored by the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, Insight Corporation, and the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. The National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, established in 1992, strives to help patients, caregivers, and families cope with the psychosocial challenges of bone marrow and stem cell transplant from diagnosis through survivorship. Here's the Executive Director of the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, Peggy Burkhardt. Welcome, everyone. This series focuses on all things caregiving. We will hear from the experts and the experienced, and trust me, their know-how will offer caregivers and families at every stage of the journey best practices, tips, and most importantly, an abundance of hope. Caregivers will feel their support and compassion. Today's episode will feature Jim Bolger of Atlanta. Jim's wife, Nancy, was diagnosed 24 years ago with diffuse cell lymphoma. Today, Jim will share his resilient perspective as a caregiver, as Nancy also relapsed in 2017 and then received a bone marrow transplant in January of 2019. Jim keeps it real, sharing how important it is to run interference and tackle the jobs that need to get done so that your patient, your loved one, can really focus on getting well and healing. So grab a few minutes for you today, caregivers, and listen in. You'll be glad you did. Thanks for being with us today, Jim. Well, thank you, Peggy, for inviting me. Let's start with Nancy's diagnosis and story. Well, as you said, our story starts back in 1996 when she was diagnosed with diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. She went through about six months of chemotherapy and went into full remission, and we thought that was the end of the story. But fast forward to the spring of 2017, she started having some abdominal discomfort, and at that time she was diagnosed with follicular lymphoma. The doctors put her through months of periodic chemotherapy, but the PET scans kept showing some evidence of cancer. So her oncologist referred her to the Blood and Marrow Transplant Group of Georgia here in Atlanta, and they suggested that more tests be done and an additional bone marrow biopsy be done, and they found that her cancer had transformed into or had coexisted with diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, which she had had 21, 22 years earlier. So because of her past history of reoccurrence, they began to talk about doing a bone marrow transplant, and they originally planned it for the middle of 2018. But to be eligible, and I don't totally understand this, but to be eligible, she had to go through some chemotherapy and she had to fail two rounds of chemo. Well, she failed the first one, but then the second one did show some reaction to it, so the transplant was delayed. She went through some more intensive chemo for the next five to six months. And then, as you said, in January, actually January 18th of 2019, she got the bone marrow transplant through cells donated by an outside anonymous donor. Realizing that everyone's experience is different. And let me just say, we've been very blessed. We've been very fortunate. Nancy didn't have any GVHD. We've had no extended hospital stays. But uh, we know that we're very lucky in those ways, even though we've been going through this for a number of years, and we're happy to share our story. Well, thank you, Jim. I'm glad to hear that it was not big time suffering with JVHD, and we're going to really focus now on your incredible role as a husband caregiver. Let's talk about how you juggled this with a career and a family, and what did you do to help Nancy get through this? Well, obviously, it's not a role I was expecting or, or really was prepared for, and it's all-consuming. I mean, it has physical impact, it has emotional impact, it has 
professional impact, it has financial impact. And, you know, we like to think of ourselves, especially as, as husbands, as the protector, that we can stand in the way of anything bad happening. And through this, you really feel, I really felt helpless. Uh, I can't protect her from this. So I just had to do whatever I could to walk alongside her in this. And for me, I think in business, we tend to define ourselves by our accomplishments. There really isn't an accomplishment in this. Nobody really feels as a caregiver, I shouldn't say nobody, I never felt as a caregiver that I was really good at this. I don't know that anybody really feels that way. Friends and family are going to tell you, oh, you're taking such good care of her. Even the person you're caring for is going to say, oh, you're taking such good care of me. But you never really feel like you're any good at it. You always feel a little bit helpless. And while you may think of yourself as strong, the whole focus shifts. It's not about your strength. It's about their strength. And they are so strong. I mean, when you consider everything they're going through with chemotherapy, with procedures, with a daunting schedule, I mean, they are so strong. Early going, uh, when Nancy was first starting chemotherapy, somebody had given her a plaque that says, you never know how strong you are until being strong is the only choice you have. And that was so true for her. That inner strength that came with just having to go through this and really focusing on them. I mean, professionally, our jobs were largely put on hold after the transplant. I mean, obviously, you're going through a everyday treatment, everyday procedures for a, a number of months. And you just focus on being the provider for whatever they need. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So we talk about self-care for caregivers. We know that's important. How did you tackle this part of your role as a caregiver? Well, I think for self-care, you just, you try to take care of yourself because you have to be there for them. You don't want to take a chance on getting sick yourself because obviously with a decreased immune system and everything else, you have to be healthy. And part of it for me was really just allowing the kindness of others. I mean, you know, when Nancy was first diagnosed, friends and family and others would come to us and say, well, what can we do for you? And the natural response that you always have first is, hey, we really appreciate it but we got this. We can handle this. And I realized I had to kind of step back from that and really allow that kindness. I mean, people offered to bring food. Let me say, once we decided to accept those offers, that was a godsend. Because when we're at the clinic all day, you come home for a couple of hours, and then you're going to bed and getting up the next morning and going back into the clinic, having some ready-made meals in the refrigerator was great, that all I had to do was heat those up and we were good to go. People just offering to sit with her for an hour so I could go out grocery shopping, or even so I could go to the gym to take care of myself. You know, she required 24-7 care, or 24-7 monitoring, I should say. And just people that were willing to come in and sit with her for an hour was a real way for me to take care of myself. But I had to really maintain my own focus on what was the job? What did I have to do? What did I have to take care of? Absolutely, Jim. So what did you feel you could provide as a caregiver? What were your goals and responsibilities in Nancy's care? Well, I mean, the obvious thing is, is comfort and support. To always be there, to always be a patient listener. 
I mean, I was there for every test. I was there for every procedure, every doctor's appointment. They just can never feel like they're going through this alone. I mean, it's, it's so big. It's so overwhelming. It's so foreign to anything we know about. So really just being there and being present, but also for running interference. I mean, we can't understand what they're going through because we haven't been through it. So just really running interference for her and making sure that all she had to do was concentrate on relaxing and taking care of herself. So even things like communicating with family and friends, you know, everybody was asking constantly, how's she doing? Well, I didn't want her to have to always field those calls because just going through the story over and over and over again, I just knew would be a burden on her. And again, we were very fortunate. We were able to come home every night and be in our own house after treatment. We were not in temporary housing. So she could be home, be around her surroundings, be around her stuff, and just getting away from it, not feeling like a patient, not having to go through those stories. So part of running interference for me was every week, every two weeks, I would send out an email to all our family and all our friends, just giving them an update on her and how she was doing and what she was going through. And that seemed to really kind of calm down a lot of the questions people had and the concerns they had. And we appreciated those concerns, but we just couldn't really deal with them on a daily basis. The other thing was just there's a lot of logistics that go with this. Doctor's appointments, prescription schedules, prescription inventories, making sure that she wasn't going to run out. Being a point of contact for the doctors, for the nurses, handling any of the grants or financial assistance, dealing with the insurance companies. I didn't want her to have to deal with any of that. I did all that. I made all the doctor's appointments. I handled all the prescriptions. We put together a list of prescription schedules, checking her temperature every couple hours, all the protocol we had to go through on that. I really handled all of the logistics and I think also just being her advocate with nurses and with doctors that if she had a question, if she had a concern, making sure that if she didn't voice those concerns, I voiced them for her and really asking questions. I mean, you know, there's so much you don't understand in this that I was never shy about asking questions. And I'm sure we burdened our doctors and our nurses with the number of questions we asked. But we had to try to understand this a little bit because, again, we didn't understand it. And there were a lot of terms and a lot of procedures and a lot of things that were being talked about that we never really understood as much as people tried to explain them to us. So asking questions, I think, was really a key, too, of how I could kind of be her advocate and be her ambassador with the medical team. And if you don't ask questions, how can you understand what's next? So I think that that's just great advice for everyone. So Jim, how did you accept this new normal? Give us some pearls of wisdom on that. Well, I'm not sure if I have any pearls of wisdom, but I I can tell you what we went through. I mean, we realized early on, this was a 24-7 commitment. For months, you're going through treatment every day, and then it's every other day or multiple times a week. And it just wasn't going to be the life that we had known before that. Every day there are changes. Every day something new is happening. And, uh, you know, we used to joke that we were just going to get t-shirts that just had a big pause button on them because it felt like we were pausing our life while we went through this and then we would unpause it 
when all this was over. And it really does feel that way. You kind of put everything on pause to just really totally focus on what's going on and the treatment that needs to be given. There's no predictability to it. And you just have to accept that plans are going to change. The day that you think you're going to be at the clinic for five hours is the day that she needs a transplant or she needs platelets and you actually are going to be there for eight hours. And those plans are going to change. So you have to build that flexibility into your schedule. And even when I would schedule a phone call with somebody and say, well, we're going to be at the clinic till about five, I'll call you at six. I always had to add to that. But if we're going to be late, I'll text you and let you know we'll have to reschedule. So you're always building in that plan B because this has to be your focus. There are no days off. Absolutely. So what else would you say was a part of the new reality of it all? Well, I think the biggest part was that the bone marrow transplant obviously resets her immune system. So she really has no immune system and it is slowly, you know, recuperating. And so you have to be so careful about everything that's going on. And there's this balance between showing attention, but allowing her some freedom too. whatever the doctor will allow. I mean, as an example, the doctor would say, okay, well, she can go out walking in the neighborhood for an hour or less if she wears a mask. Well, allowing her that freedom, even though the protecting side of me didn't want her out walking around, but allowing her that freedom later on for Nancy, a big part of the loss she felt was not being able to work in her garden. And the doctor finally said, okay, you can work in the garden for a half hour or so, but wear rubber gloves under your gardening gloves and mm -hmm. be careful about what you're touching. And so just allowing her that freedom to do those things and finding what I called moments of normalcy, just times that she could feel normal, that she didn't feel like a patient. You know, Nancy, from the very beginning, made a determination for herself that she was not going to let this define her. And she never did. And so really having those times of normalcy, even though it's a very abnormal situation, I mean, you're dealing with a lot of physical side effects from the chemo and, and other things like nausea and blurry vision. Obviously, going through hair loss, I think through the last couple of years, I think we went through four bouts of hair loss, grew back, she lost it again. There's a cognitive loss. I mean, obviously, with that much chemical involvement in your body, she just didn't have the focus and, and didn't have the thought patterns that she was used to having. So really dealing with that for her. Obviously, you know, there's weight loss, there's other physical symptoms, and there's emotional side effects. There are times of frustration. There is a sense of loss of not being able to do the things you want to do. And, you know, that's part of the caregiver, too, is in Nancy's case, again, we were very fortunate. She normally felt pretty good. I mean, obviously, after chemo, things change a little bit, but for the most part, she felt pretty good. Her body was telling her, she could probably do more than the doctors wanted her to do. So really kind of reining her in a little bit and following the doctor's orders and not overdoing it and really pacing yourself. You know, there's all the safety measures about 
food and washing food and what food she can have and what food she can't. The temperature checks every couple hours to make sure there's no fever and no signs of GVHD. I mean, it's all a lot to absorb. I mean, there's medical terms, there's medications that you can't pronounce and definitely can't spell. There's all these procedures you never heard of before. You know, we used to get a kick out of, you know, we'd come home at night, we'd turn on the TV and there'd be some doctor show on TV and there'd be, you know, barking out instructions on TV about different medications and we'd say, oh, we know what that is. <laughs> and an interesting part for us is we went kind of right from her treatments into the spring of 2020 with the coronavirus pandemic and all the restrictions that came with that. And it was interesting for us because people would say, well, how are you doing with temperature checks and masks and having to shelter in place? We said, you know, we've been in training for this for two years. <laughs> Definitely. This has been our life. So, you know, the restrictions that everybody has gone through with coronavirus, we were going through all those and more. We've definitely talked to quite a few people in the last few months about that. You know, you guys are experts at this. We could all learn a few things in light of today's pandemic. Now we're going to talk about making the best of things. So, Jim, you seem like such a fun guy. I think we could rent you out as a caregiver, in fact. But I, <laughs> I know that you tried to find ways to find some humor in the day and celebrate the milestones. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, you have to find the milestones. And a lot of times it's the little ones. It's a good lab report. It's when you went from going to the clinic every day to going every other day. That's a huge milestone. And making the most of those days that you're not at the clinic, even though, yes, you're restricted at home and you can't go out and there's a lot of things you can't do, but really making the most of those days to, again, feel normal. And, you know, one of the things that I vowed to myself at the very beginning was she was going to laugh every day. I was going to find a way to make her laugh every day. And some days it was easy. Some days I had to work a little harder at it. But having that uncontrollable positive emotion in the middle of all these possible negative emotions, I thought was really important. And one quick story is years ago when the uh, chemo first started, one of the suggestions that were made in some of the literature we read is that you know, it's sometimes easier coming out of chemo to go through some meditation techniques or some relaxation techniques. And they said, you know, there's these CDs you can get that have relaxing sounds on them. So <laughs> we decided we were going to try that. And I went to the store and I, after getting stressed out, looking at all the different choices there were myself, uh, I picked out one that was ocean waves and steel drums because we love the beach and I knew she'd enjoy that. So I got the CD home, she was going to relax with it, and the CD case was defective. We could not get the case open to get out the CD. <laughs> we tried everything from screwdrivers and, you know, butter knives, could not get it open. Finally had to use a hammer to open up the CD case to get out the relaxation CD. There's a visual. <laughs> and you got to laugh about that. Absolutely. You know, and, and just trying to find that humor every day. And there's plenty around you if you just stay aware and if you just stay alert to it. And if you make it part of your vow to yourself that you're really going to find that for them. And part of it is just not making the treatment, not making the cancer, not making this all 
the topic and the subject of every conversation. They got to be able to talk about other things. They got to be able to mentally get away from it. I think another thing for us was what I call finding a North Star, finding a goal they can really focus on and really determine to meet. For us in the early going, right after the transplant, Nancy was told that she couldn't be around our grandson, who was then about three years old, for probably about six months. So, okay, we understand that. We understand with the immune system and everything else that that is proper, and, but it's still tough. So that was her North Star in the early going is that I want to be able to be around my grandson. And that's what she was working towards. And so going through the treatments and going through all the side effects and going through everything else, that was her North Star. That was what she was really aimed at. Once we were able to do that, she found another North Star. She said, I want to be able to go to the beach. Now, we had gone to the beach every year for years, for a week, on vacation. And we weren't able to do that for a number of years during this because that was just out of the question. So that was her new North Star was, I want to get through this and I want to be able to go to the beach. You know, somebody told me in the early going and it kind of stuck with me as they said, you know, sometimes you do what you have to do so later you can do what you want to do. And that's really true of this. I mean, there's a lot you have to go through. There's a lot of sacrifices and change and new normals that you have to go through. So eventually you can do what you want to do. How profound, even when you think about where we are right now with COVID-19, it's true. We have to, you know, buckle down. We have to do what we need to do so that we can get back to life as we all know and love it, hopefully someday. Absolutely. Makes a lot of sense, Jim. I think we're going to wrap things up. Is there anything else you might want to add? And, and I'd love to hear how Nancy's doing today. So I'm going to let you finish off with that. Sure. You know, I guess the only final thoughts I have is while being a caregiver can be challenging, the focus has to always be on the patient. It can never be on you. And no matter what you're going through or the sacrifices that I might have felt I was making through this. It was nothing compared to what she was going through. So you can never complain. You can never even mention the load it's putting on you because that's just going to lead to them having guilt feelings or maybe even just limiting communication as to how much they tell you because they don't want to burden you and you want to have open communication so you know everything that's going on so you can communicate with the doctors and make sure that they know what's going on. and. The caregiving really doesn't end. I mean, you know, we're still going through, you know, some continuing treatment and some periodic restagings. And thank you for asking. I mean, Nancy is doing fine. We've been extremely blessed. We've been extremely fortunate. We're now about 20 months post-transplant. Her scans, her biopsies remain clear. We're doing restagings about every six months because the immune system gets reset through this. She's had to go through another calendar of immunizations, going back and getting childhood immunizations again, and she's making it through that calendar. I mean, she has gotten through this great, and I take no credit for that. This is all Nancy. This is all her. She has been so determined through this and so strong through this. I tell people all the time that she handled it the way we all hope we would handle it, but no, we probably wouldn't. Wow. You know... Her answer to people is we'd run into somebody and they said, oh, Nancy, I heard you've been sick. And she said, I'm not sick. I have cancer, but I'm not sick. 
And you just take it a day at a time and get through it. And uh, with safety precautions and the doctor's okay, we were able to go to the beach in June of this year. Oh, good. So we did hit that North Star too. So uh, <laughs> Terrific. But thank you so much for you and for the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link for giving us the opportunity to share our story with you. Oh, Jim, thank you. You are definitely a dynamic duo, you and Nancy, and I think you're you're way too humble. Uh, and I think she's a very lucky lady to have you, and I think you're a lucky guy to have her. <laughs> so all the best to you guys moving forward. And to you. Thank you. Thank you. This has been the Marrow Masters Podcast. Feel free to share this episode via text, email, or social media. To hear more, subscribe for free to Marrow Masters in your favorite podcast app. To learn more about the resources available to both patients and caregivers, check out the National Bone Marrow Transplant link at nbmtlink.org. That's nbmtlink.org, or just follow the link in our show notes.